Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue our journey through Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Good morning, folks. How are you doing this morning? I am so glad that you're here. I want to take this moment and just welcome you to Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Church. And for those who are tuning in online, we have not forgotten about you. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching our live stream. We want to encourage you to uh, click the subscribe button to our YouTube channel and you'll be notified when we put up any new videos. Outside of that, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us this morning. Guess what? Your presence is a present to us. Amen. And I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, if you were a fruit, you'd be a fine apple. All right? All right. If you're sitting by someone you, you fill in today, you know, feel free to thank the preacher later. I just want to thank you all for being here with us. Um, it's a blessing to always be in the house of the Lord. Can somebody say Amen. It's a blessing to be in the house of the Lord, and uh, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful, and nonetheless, you know, my heart is heavy today because I get to present the Word of God, amen? And, and I know God has so much in store for you, and uh, I feel really blessed because this is going to be the last message of our series on the Game Changer series, The Goat Tells Your Story, and uh, today, you know, I get to be uh, uh, simply a messenger of what God wants to say, Amen. Uh, here in Richardson, we're blessed to have four pastors. Somebody say amen. All right, and when I think about the number four, it reminds me of my track and field days. Yes, Pastor Godwin used to run. And uh, in track and field, there's something called the four-by-one relay. And for those who don't know what that is, is when you got your four fastest runners running 400 meters, each runner running 100 meters and passing off a baton to the next runner to run the next 100 meters. Now, if you're a smart track coach, what you do is you put your fastest runner to be the lead and the other fast runner to be the closer, and that would be called the anchor, okay? And today, I'm blessed to have the opportunity to anchor this amazing series, and I pray that God may use me to glorify himself today. Uh, without further ado, I would like you to rise to your feet. Rise to your feet. Come on, stand up and grab your Bible or a device that will give you access to Scripture and turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11, excuse me, Luke chap, uh, chapter 15, verses 17 through 20. Uh, that's what we're going to be reading. And if you get there, you know what to say. Uh-huh, that's it. All right, Luke chapter 15, verse 17, and when you get there, you say, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's what we're going to say. All right, and uh, uh, I'll go ahead and read it in your hearing, and it says, but when he came to himself, the Bible says, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And verses 20 says, as it closes, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a far great way off, it says his father saw him had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Somebody say amen. amen. I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and say, just like Mike. 
just like Mike. All right, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, use this broken vessel. I, I, I really don't have much for your people today, but I know you do, Lord. So Lord, I ask you that you may use this imperfect vessel to do your perfect work. And I pray that spirit of the living God fall afresh on us today. And that is my prayer in your name, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Just like Mike. So in our series, we have been dissecting this whole idea of being a game changer, right? And we've been looking at the parables that Jesus told in the Gospels because he was the GOAT, the greatest of all time, and he was always in the business of changing the game. Am I right? And so today I was uh, tasked with the uh, opportunity to preach the last message of the Game Changer series. And I, I can't lie to you, I was perplexed because I did not know what to bring before the children of God this morning. So I did what most people do. I went to my best friend, Michael. I was like, Michael, you look, I got to preach. I don't know what to preach about. I need you to answer me this. What is the most Game Changer parable in Scripture? And Michael goes ahead and right off the top of his head, he says, the parable of the lost son. That's the most Game Changer parable in scripture. I was like, what? For real? He's like, yeah, the parable of the lost son, most popularly known as the parable of the prodigal son. And so when I started to study up in this parable, I realized one really fascinating thing. I believe it's the most game changer uh, parable in all of the gospels. Amen. Because in it, I believe is the theme that Jesus has been trying to show us from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Ah, <laughs> okay. So today we'll be diving into the parable of the prodigal son, but before I dive into it, I have to put a disclaimer out there. I've realized in my study that the parable of the prodigal son is not about the prodigal son. Hmm. And I know some of y'all looking at me is like with jaundiced eyes, but pastor, it says it right here. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Well, let me put it this way. Yes, the prodigal son may be the main character, but it's not about the prodigal son. So today I would like you to just lend me your hand, okay, as we walk down this legendary story and look at what Jesus has in store for us today. Is anybody ready to receive this? Amen? Now, the so-called story of the prodigal son actually does not begin in Luke chapter 15, verses 11. As a matter of fact, if you turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 1, that is where the, uh, the, the, the story or the parable of the prodigal son begins. And I will read it in your hearing. And when you get there, you know what to say. Uh-huh. That's right. All right. Luke chapter 15, verses 1, as we continue with our sermon, just like Mike, uh, the heart of the goat. It says this. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Ah, so there's a lot going on here. And the Bible tells us the, that, that the sinners were always attracted to Jesus. Somebody say amen. And, and the problem here is the Pharisees, the Pharisees had a problem with it because they were standing there and they're like, so here's Jesus, right? Here's Jesus, this supposed holy, uh, 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 supposed nice guy, this supposed holy, uh, righteous person, right? Uh, why is it, does he, C.D. Brooks sermon, uh, uh, a God who keeps bad company, am I right? And, and what the Pharisees didn't understand is they needed to be glad that God keeps bad company. I said, church, aren't you glad? Glad today that God keeps bad company? 
You see, the Pharisees didn't understand. You see, they, they were looking at the prostitute as bad company. They looked at the tax collector as bad company. But I got news for you today. The deacon is bad company. The elder is bad company. The pastor is bad company. The praise team leader is bad company. Because when we all stand next to the righteousness of the living God, it's bad company. Oh, y'all ain't listening to me today. But you see, some of us, we have differentiated ourselves from the people that God wants us to reach. Just because we have a habit of showing up in a building on the seventh day, or just because we have the right diet or the right message, what we have done is we have distanced ourselves from the people that God is trying to reach because we believe we're not bad company. Let me tell you today that we're all sinners in need of Jesus. We're all sinners in need of Jesus. Do you understand me? Because we do this. The thing is, when I could look down on you, I can separate myself from you. And that was what was going on with the Pharisees. So Jesus, Jesus, in an effort to still minister to the Pharisees, starts to, uh, in, in Luke chapter 15, starts to rattle off some, some parables. And as he was going rattling off these parables, he's talked about the lost sheep, right? Y'all have heard about the parable of the lost sheep, right? And then he goes right into the parable of the lost coin, right? And then right before he finishes that, guess what? He goes into probably one of the top three most popular parables in all of scripture, and that is the parable of the prodigal son. Now, the parable of the prodigal, those seven verses. And not only that, not only that, but Jesus in this parable of the prodigal son goes into a deeper detail because he's trying to bring home a special message, not only for the Pharisees of old, but for the church of today. And so as he was going on, explaining and clearing this thing up, he starts off, so the Bible begins with telling the story of two sons, and that's where we read. You see, in the past, we've always looked at this parable as, a, as the parable of the son who left, but really, today I want to say it's not about the son who left. As a matter of fact, today I want to open your eyes to the fact that the story is really about the father. Hmm. So let's turn to Luke chapter 15, verses 11. And when you get there, you know what to say. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's what we're going to say. All right? Luke chapter 15, verses 11. As we continue with our sermon, just like Mike. And it says this. And a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me a portion. What? a portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them up his livelihood, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions, or some versions may say substance, with prodigal living or riotous living. And it says this, but when he had spent all, there arose a famine in that land. And began to be in want. And verse 15 says, Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Excuse me. And he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. And verse 16 tells us, And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swines ate. And no one gave him anything. 
The story of the prodigal son begins with dissatisfaction. There's dissatisfaction in the story as the opening scenes take place. And uh, the Bible tells us uh, a father, a certain man, had two sons. Now, the younger son, the Bible tells us, was dissatisfied. And in his dissatisfaction, while he was motivated by foolishness and greed, came to his father and he says, Dad, I want what's mine. And the reason why this was so shocking is the fact that in Hebrew culture, like many other cultures, you will not receive an inheritance until your parents die. So therefore, when the son came to his father and said, I want my inheritance, he was basically wishing his father dead. Now, as harsh as this may be, as harsh as this may be, uh, the Bible says something really peculiar. The father didn't argue. The father, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us God upset. The father did not, did not fight this young foolish boy. The father didn't even curse this young man. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that the father took a portion and gave it to him, right? And after a while, the Bible tells us after a couple days, it came to light what he was planning to do with that portion, what he was planning to do with all that he had received from the father. And that is he took his possessions, he took his portion, and he journeyed off into a far country. And the Bible tells us after a couple, I don't know, days, weeks, months of riotous living, prodigal living, spending carelessly, the Bible says, guess what? He ran out of all of his possessions. He ran out of all of his substance. And guess what? A famine came upon the land. And when the famine came upon the land, the Bible tells us, he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, thinking he could survive the famine with the citizen of that country, but that citizen of that country sent him into slavery and caused him to work the most defiling, undignified job any Jew can have, and that is to feed the swine. You see, the son was foolish. And the causation of his foolishness came from a place of confusing between substance and source. Let the pastor explain this to you. If you remember when he left home, he left home with a portion of what? The goods, right? But if you read carefully, you'll notice that when he had spent it, he only spent what the Bible calls a substance. He did not spend his portion. You see, the son, misguided as he was, did not know the difference between substance and source. And let me put it this way. This young son didn't understand that the father was the source of all wealth. You understand what I'm saying? Let me explain it this way. You see, the father was like a well of water, right? The source of all kinds of water that you can live on. But you see, the foolish son thought, ah, father, I want my own. I don't want to be in your presence. I'm going to dip my bucket in the well, and I'm going to walk away hoping to live off of just a bucket full of water. Do you understand what I'm saying? And let me tell you something about substance. Substance runs dry. Substance rots. Substance cankers. Substance rust. It cannot be depended on. But let me tell you something about the source. The source is dependable. It's always there when you need it. It's always uh, watching out for you. Let me tell you something about the source. The source is the Father. Come on, y'all. And church, the reason why I have to highlight this today 
is because we have some undercover particles in the pews. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. We have some undercover uh, uh, prodigals in the pews, and we may sing. We may sing about how the Father is our source, but we spend all week losing our peace of mind, losing our quality family time, losing our devotional time, chasing substance that has officially enslaved us. Mm. All because we have mistaken substance for source. Let me break it down just a little bit more. You see, sometimes we think our jobs are, uh, the fo- our income comes from our jobs. But let me tell you something. The reason you could feed your children, clothe your children, and take care of your bills is because the father is your income. But because we believe our nine to five, because we believe, we really do, we believe our nine to five is our source. We have been enslaved by our jobs to the point where it has even caused us to defile ourselves in levels we never expected. When they call you and they tell you you're going to work on the Sabbath, they expect you to come out because they got you. And it's okay. I'm going to wrap this thing up. I know some of y'all got to go clock in at two. It's real, folks. And I'm not saying a job is a bad thing, but the job is not your source. It's simply substance. And, 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 and this idea can come in many shapes and forms. For some of us, it may be simply education. And the thing about it is this. We sacrifice everything, especially God's time and God's money sometimes for the sake of education, believing that if only we could get this degree, we'll get the freedom that we're looking for, the, the money and the car, everything. And we become so delusional that we even hold graduations and graduation parties in the middle of a Sabbath. And we start him off by a prayer of thanks to the Lord. And the funny thing about it is this. We have the jobs. We have the degrees. We have it all. But guess what? We still are depressed, burdened, and unsatisfied. Because we have mistaken the substance for the source. Have we, like the prodigal son, mistaken the substance for the source? Food for thought. But the Bible continues. And it says this in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of the father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? You see, the Bible tells us something that happened after all of that. After he had left the house, a, a famine came, i.e., it may come in many different forms. So you may come in the form of losing a job, especially when you think your substance is the source. And so, therefore, when we lose our jobs, we lose our minds. You ever notice that? Because in our heart of hearts, we believe the substance is the source, right? And, and, and he lost everything. Uh, these unforeseen, uh, unforeseen circumstances take place, okay? And, 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 and so this younger son thought, okay, I've lost it all, all right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to go join myself to a citizen of the country. I'll be a servant. I'll probably make a good living. I'll be just fine. And the problem is he was mistaken, You see, you have to understand this. The prodigal son was raised up in his father's house. You understand me? And when he was raised up in his father's house, the reason why he can make an assumption as we read in verse 17 is because he saw how his father treated the servants. He saw how his father did not only pay the servants, but overpaid them to the point where they had some to spare. 
So in his heart of hearts, in his mind, he was thinking, oh, all servants must be treated like this. So therefore, I'm going to join myself with a citizen of the country. And guess what? I'll be just fine. But he was mistaken because the citizen of the country was not like the father. Folks, that's where we catch our next lesson. Lesson number two. Guess what? The moment you place anybody else in the father's place, get ready to be disappointed. It doesn't matter how well they know their Bible, how long they've been in church. The moment you place somebody in the father's place, they will hurt you. They will let you down. They will disappoint you because what's the father's is always the father's. Never put anybody else in that place. Hmm. And so therefore, this citizen of the country doesn't exactly treat him the way he expected his father to treat him. And, and you see, you sometimes have to thank God for a pig pen experience because he is doing all these reasonings now in the pig pen. And he's sitting there in the pig pen and the Bible tells us he starts to really think. And in verse 17, the Bible tells us when he came to himself. I, I thought that was a really fascinating little quote, right? When he came to himself. I mean, like, where'd you go? Right? When he came to himself. So I, I looked that up in the, in the Greek, and actually when you uh, parse it down in the Greek and, and redefine it, what it comes out to is when he was brought to himself. Hmm. <laughs> you see... I need y'all to pay attention. This is the pivotal part. Because the scripture that came to mind is found in John chapter 16, verse 13, where it talks about the Holy Spirit leads us into what? All truth, right? And sometimes it's good Adventist. Sometimes we've just defined that, oh yeah, it leads you to the 28 fundamental beliefs. But I want to say it has a deeper meaning than just that. You see, the prodigal son was brought to himself. That means he saw himself for who he was. You see, the Holy Spirit sometimes cannot emphasize your need for Jesus until it shows you who you are to you. And when he saw himself for who he is, someone who had deceived himself about the Father's character, the Bible says he was brought to himself. Sometimes we had to thank God for pig pen experiences because sometimes that's when he can listen. That's when you can actually listen to him more clearly. And so therefore in his pig pen experience, he discovers the goodness of the father. Amen. He discovers the goodness of the father. I just want to say today, aren't you glad that you serve a God who's not too holy to meet you in the pig pen? I want to say today, it doesn't matter how deep in uh, sin and self-deception that you're in, uh, as deep as the slavery of the pig pen, I want to say that the Father's arms are long and strong enough to pluck you up from the depths of that muck. Amen? And the Bible says this, because he came to a place where he was brought to himself when he had come to himself. The Bible says in verses 18, something really, really amazing because he started to notice the goodness of the father. Verses 18 tells us, he says, I will arise and go to the father. Oh, come on, man, I'm going to go home. The man said, I will arise and go to the father. Game changer. Game changer. I ain't never met the father, are you? And when he said, I will arise and go to the father, that's when the story changes for him. 
Because as he started to think about what he was going to tell to the father, he was, he was going to repent of his sins. And he got up and he started walking up to the father. And verses 19 shows us as he was walking up to the father, the Bible tells us that the father saw him from a ways off, meaning that the father was daily waiting for him at the porch, waiting for him to come home. And as he saw him afar off, the Bible says the father ran to him. Okay, that's an old man ran to him. And the Bible says he embraced his son and kissed him. And as the son was trying to explain himself to the father, say, look, dad, I don't expect much from you. I just want to be a servant. The dad was like, I'm just happy you're in this place. And the funny thing about it is, is the Bible tells us that as he embraced him, as he was kissing him, as he was loving him, he was restoring him all at the same time. He was telling the servants, go grab some shoes for my son. That means as he was walking back to the father, he was bare feet. That means as he was walking back to the father, he needed some clothes. And the and the father gave. This is the best part about it. I sound like a madman, don't I? The love of God is reckless, y'all. And the father, the father, catch this. The father gives him what? A robe, right? Gives him some shoes, right? Not only that, but you'll notice in the same uh, text, you'll notice that he gives him a ring. Y'all don't understand how deep that is. You see, a ring was a form of your kind of like your membership to the family. It was a form. Oh, I wasn't even planning to go here. But basically, a ring was really important back then because in it was your family's coat of arms. And especially if your family was uh, very rich or very wealthy, what would happen is if you went to the store, okay, you didn't have to carry any money with you. You just purchased all you had to purchase, and you pressed the ring the, the, with the coat of arms on a piece of wax, right? And what happens is all would happen is it would be charged to your family. That was actually the first form of a debit card. This brother just came home from spending all the money. And the Bible tells us the father entrusts him with the family's account. The father restores him. The father does not put him on probation. On the spot. He restores him. Do y'all know you serve a good, good father? Mind blown, huh? As it says in scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1, Behold, the manner of love the father has given unto us that we should be called, what? Oh, come on. Greater love, greater love, greater love. Amen? Now, the funny thing about it is this. That was just the introduction of my sermon. Um, <laughs> welcome to Just Like Mike. I will start over again. This is my TED Talk now, all right? Now, that was just the introduction of my sermon, okay? Believe me that, okay? Just Like Mike, Okay? And, and, and I've been meaning to build the context of all of this. This is just a platform, baby, okay? Listen to me, okay? And the parable, uh, the, you, see, you, see, you got to understand one thing. One, one thing about this uh, parable of the prodigal son, it's, it's, it's a game changer. 
It breaks the trend. As a matter of fact, if you notice one thing is uh, the parable of the prodigal son is actually really uh, a little bit different from all the other parables before it in uh, chapter 15. The parable of the lost sheep, right? The sheep is lost, right? Right? Right, right? Are you with me? And the sheep is found, right? Right? And the sheep is celebrated, right? End of story, right? And then we go to the parable of the lost coin, right? Guess what? Guess what? It's, it's lost, right? Right? And, and, and the coin is found, right? And then the coin is what? Celebrated, right? And then we come to the parable of the lost son, right? Right? The, the son is lost, am I right? And, and then the son is found, am I right? Is the son found? This side, is the son found? The son is not found over there, okay? So, and, and guess what happens? Guess what happens? Guess what happens? The son is what? Is celebrated, right? Does the story end? Okay, let's read verses 25 then. All right? Now, uh, uh, Lord. Okay. It says, now his older son was in the field. Why is this brother in the field? The father is wealthy, ain't he? The father has servants, doesn't he? Why is he in the fields? Okay, we're going to come back to that. And the Bible tells us, now, his older son was in the fields, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. When's the last time y'all heard dancing? That's some, that's some crazy dancing, ain't it? Okay? And it says this, so he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. Okay? Verse 27, listen. And he said to him, your brother has come, and because he received him safe and sound, your father has killed a fattened calf, okay? Uh, verses 28, it says, for he, excuse me, but, catch what this, this, young, this older brother does, okay? But he was what? Angry and would not go in. Therefore, the father what? Came out and pleaded with him. And follow what he says. Follow what he says, okay? As we continue, we're just like Mike. It says this, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. Has, is he a son or is he a servant? Help me. He's a son, right? Okay, listen up. He says, Lo, okay? Many years I have been serving you. I've been slaving away, okay? I have never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. Verses 30 says, But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured his livelihood with harlots, you killed a fattened calf for him? I believe there should be a question mark right there. Okay? You, you can sense like the pain, right? It says this, and he said unto him, this is the father speaking, Son, you're always with me, and all that I have is yours. And verses 32 ends it and says, It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost, and he's found, y'all. Oh my goodness, there's a lot going on there, right? The Bible tells us, guess what? The younger son comes home, right? 
And the Bible tells us that there's so much happiness in the home. As a matter of fact, the dad goes ahead and he, and he, and he slays the fattened calf. And, and that's a really uh, important thing. M- mind you this, whenever you read parables, focus on the details. Every detail has a purpose, okay? Now, now, now when he slaughtered the, per- the, 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 the fattened calf, okay, uh, you got to understand that fattened calves were for really special occasions. Okay, some families, especially the wealthy ones, would keep a fattened calf just in case a member of the royal family would come to their home. And so they would slay the fattened calf. So you have to be a really important guest to get the fattened calf slayed for you, right? And I believe this, I believe this. When the son walked away from home, the father started fattening that calf. You understand the father's love there? Okay, and so therefore when he came back home, he was received as royalty. Mm, okay? And the funny thing about it is this. The Bible tells us that there was great music and dancing, dancing that you can hear. That's crazy, right? And, and, and all this is going on, and the Bible tells us the older son hears of this, and he heard that his uh, brother was home, and guess what? He gets angry. If you lost a sibling for maybe a couple of weeks, months, maybe years, and you found out they just came back home, would you be angry? Then what's wrong with this brother? Okay? What's wrong with him? The Bible says he was angry, and in his anger, guess what? Something really funny happens. The father comes out to him. If y'all remember, guess what? The son, the younger son, just came back to who? The father, right? Now the father has to go out to the son. I want to say something today. I want to say that the heart of the, young, of, of the younger son and the heart of the older son are the same kind of heart. The only difference is the younger son decided to act on it, and the older one decided to stay home. You see, the older son was just a prodigal who never left. And so the father has to come out to him, has to now minister to him as well, right? And, and guess what? And guess what? The, 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 the dad is he's like, look, son, what, what's going on? Why don't you just come into the party? Why don't you just celebrate? Your, your, your brother is home, and he starts to go on this tirade, Okay? And guess what? He starts to go on this tirade, and, he's, and he starts by saying some really strange things. Okay? Are you guys listening? He starts to go on this tirade, right? And this brother goes, and he speaks as if he's a servant rather than a son of the father. That means he has distanced himself from the father. That means he was out there in the fields believing that if I work hard enough, I will earn the Father's love while it was always his to begin with. So he was starting from the negative, right? And he started to, to say some other things, and he goes on, and, and, and he talks about, but as soon as this son of yours came, you see, by saying that, what he was doing is he was subconsciously or maybe even consciously cutting his brother off. The father who was wrong embraced the son, right? The younger son. But the brother who had nothing to do with all of that cuts him off, right? I want to say something today that I hope bothers you, okay? If you can't identify with the lost brother, you lose the privilege to be the son. Because you can't say he's not your brother, right? Without disowning the father as well. Because if he ain't your brother, then the father ain't your father. You understand what I'm saying? 
That's why it even says, and I love scripture because scripture talks story and then it tells it to you straight. Okay? Because sometimes we don't get it. You see, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, if you, if anyone, the Bible says, says they love God, right? And then at the same time, in the same breath, hate their brother, the Bible says, you're a liar. And the truth is not with you. Because it says, how can you love a God you can't see and hate the brother that you can't see? <laughs> and this brother, it goes deep. It goes deep. He has some real baggage, okay? And the Bible tells us something really interesting. He goes in and he says this, okay? Uh, this son of yours, right? He's distancing himself from his brother. And then he goes on and he says this. Catch this. Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots? Wait, time out. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. If y'all remember, if you've been reading the story carefully, you realize that when the prodigal son went out and he was doing his thing, guess what? The Bible just says, guess what? He, he had a prodigal living, right? Uh, some versions may say he uh, lived riotously, right? It doesn't actually define exactly in detail what he did, right? But get, catch this, catch this, catch this. This older brother knows exactly what he was doing. Ooh. Yeah, I haven't met people who talk so much they tell on themselves. Could it be? Could it just be that all along the older son knew where the younger son was? Could it be that the older son knew exactly what the younger son was doing and did nothing about it? Could it be that he knew his location and didn't bring him home? That should make you angry. Because that's family, right? Family don't do that, right? The reason why I say it like that is because some of us in here have some younger sons, younger brothers who ain't living right. And rather than praying for them, you just keep tabs and talk about them. And sometimes even when they come to church, Rather than embracing them, you come and you sneak this them. And for those who don't know what sneak this is, you come, oh, I know why you're in church. You know what I'm talking about? It's dirty. It ain't right. But it happens, right? That's that older brother syndrome. You feel me? I'm going to coin that term. Copywritten. Anyways, but that's what's going on, right? Could it be that the older brother knew all along, but yet did nothing? Could it be that we can know all along someone is going through it, and we do nothing, we just look from a distance? That's shameful, folks, okay? And the Bible tells us that this older son was so much into highlighting and, and, and busy pointing out the younger son's pig pen experience rather than the God who saved him from the pig pen experience. There's some folks in here where when we look at them, we just look at all the wrong they've ever done, not all the right God has done for them. Mm. And here's the turning point. The older son was just simply a prodigal that never left. Okay? His heart wasn't right. As a matter of fact, Ellen White, I think in Desire of Ages, did too much studying on this. It says, the reason why the story doesn't end, you'll notice the story actually is very open-ended, right? It doesn't really have a real resolution, right? 
The reason why it doesn't end is because of two things. One, Jesus was actually speaking it as it was going on, okay? And the other is it was actually an appeal to the Pharisees, okay? Not only an appeal to the Pharisees, but an appeal to us as well. And the appeal is this. Listen up. Are you going to go and follow the footsteps of the Father, have a heart like the Father, celebrate the Son who came back? Or are you simply just going to be angry and go deeper into the field? Are you going to celebrate the lost son who has returned, who was dead, and now is alive? Or are you going to go and continue being angry because you didn't get what you thought you deserved? Will you be like the father? The goat? Greatest of all time. Because the the father is appealing to the older son to have a heart like his. That's the main point right there. That is the main point. Today I want to talk about somebody. When I was growing up, one of the most dominant basketball players was Kobe Bryant. How many Kobe Bryant fans are in here? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he was killing the game. Kobe Bryant was the best, right? He was killing it. He's probably one of the best Lakers to wear it. Probably top three up there, okay? I'm not going to debate it before LeBron came. Anyways, but Kobe Bryant was a great. And the reason why he was so great is because he understood one thing. To be a game changer, he needed to imitate the GOAT, if y'all know who I'm talking about. To be a game changer, he needed to imitate the greatest of all time, who was Michael Jordan. So from a very young age, Kobe Bryant literally imitated every move that Michael Jordan made. As a matter of fact, in one of the documentaries, Michael Jordan was asked, what player do you think can really hang with you on a one-on-one match? And after some thinking, he said, Kobe Bryant. He was asked why. It's because he said, it's because he knows all my moves. All right? And he understood one thing. He understood one thing. If I can imitate the goat, if I could dribble like the goat, if I could dunk like the goat, if I can, I don't know if passing was part of his lessons, but if I could be like the goat, I can change the game. I could be a great, okay? And as a matter of fact, as Kobe progressed, he even took upon the mannerisms of Michael Jordan outside of just playing basketball. As a matter of fact, you notice in this picture right here that's about to come, he started chewing on his jersey like Michael Jordan. He imitated Michael Jordan down to the T. As a matter of fact, he cut his hair like Michael Jordan because he understood one thing. To change the game, you have to imitate the GOATs. The greatest of all time. Just like Mike, that was his motto. And the reason why I chose it as a sermon title is because Michael has a special meaning. The meaning of Michael is who's like God. Folks, if this church wants to change the game, if we want to forge friendships, create disciples, transform our communities before Jesus Christ returns, we need to learn how to imitate the goat. We need to have the heart of the goat, the greatest of all time. Because because if, if we're not willing to step up to the plate, God can't pass us the ball. We will not finish this game. You understand what I'm trying to say? 
And today we need to have a heart like the Father. We need to have his heart because without it, the game is over. And God is ready to move on from us. I'm not even playing. If we don't learn how to imitate the goat, this vision will become a mockery unto us. You understand what I'm saying? A mockery. So today, God wants us to be just like Mike. You understand what I'm trying to say? He wants us to imitate each and every one of his moves in Scripture. He wants us to have a heart like his because guess what? The world isn't waiting for you to preach to them. The world is waiting to see the gospel in living color in your character. Because they don't heard about Jesus. They just haven't seen him. I'm going to go ahead and just close this thing up. As the music is playing, um, I wasn't planning to do this at all, but I think it's only right. Uh, I've been going on a journey myself, you know what I mean? And uh, I realized that God has to fix me before he can use me to help fix others, okay? And uh, one thing I've been doing is I realized that the reason we cannot be like Mike, just like Mike, we can't go after the goat, is because in our minds we're, we're wired in a way that is anti-God, let's be honest, Right? And sometimes we need to recognize God in our lives. And let me tell you something. You're not just going to click your heels and be holy. It's, it's true. It's a journey. It's something where you're going to have to wrestle with God, right? Wrestle with God. And today I want to just throw this out there. I don't know who it may touch. I've been doing this thing called 21 Days of Gratitude. And my goodness, it's changing a lot of things for me, okay? Because uh, one thing I realize is sometimes we get so bogged down doing all these things for people and we get jaded. We get mad jaded, okay? To the point where we can't even see ourselves for who we really are. So what I started doing, because my friend called me to it, Michael, I love him, you know? And um, he called me to do this thing called 21 Days of Gratitude where each day you think about three things you truly want to thank God for, Okay? And you write them down for 21 days. And what happens is this. After writing them down for 21 days, I realized my attitude towards people starts to change. I realized that God started to put his heart in my heart. You know? And I, I'm saying today, look, I don't know if you're, it's 21 days of gratitude for you or 21 days of recognizing God's presence in your life. I want to say that today, beginning today, in these next 21 days, let's, let's imitate the goat. Because God is ready to kill this game. He's ready to finish this game, right? He's ready for us to pass him the ball so he can finally make his clutch shots and take us home, right? I don't know about you, but I want to be on this championship team, right? Oh, it's, it's dead. It's dead. Let's buy his quarter prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much. Uh, I'm tired. And uh, Lord, I just pray that someone was touched uh, because it's really about you. So. We want to be like the goat. We want to be the greatest of all time. We want to be game changers, Lord, but we know our speech is nonsense. So, Lord, I pray that you may do that, which we cannot do within ourselves. Um, help our vision come through, Lord, so that we can finally finish this thing and show Dallas what Jesus looks like. And show Dallas, that guess what? Jesus goes to church at Richardson. Father, that's my prayer for tonight. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, 
Listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.